All right, so we're in the book of Numbers tonight. Uh, please open up to Numbers chapter 1, uh, page 108 of your church Bibles. And I'm going to be leading us through the first reading, which is Numbers chapter 1, verses 1 to 19. So it's Numbers chapter 1, verses 1 to 19 on page 108 of your church Bibles. The Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, in the tent of meeting, on the first day of the second month, in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Take a census of all the congregation of the people of Israel, by clans, by fathers' houses, according to the number of names, every male, head by head. From twenty years old and upward, all in Israel who are able to go to war, you and Aaron shall list them, company by company. And there shall be with you a man from each tribe, each man being the head of the house of his fathers. And these are the names of the men who shall assist you, from Reuben, Eliza, the son of Shedua, from Simeon, Shalumiel, the son of Zerushadai, from Judah, Nashon, the son of Aminadab, from Issachar, Nethanel, the son of Zuah, from Zebulun, Eliab, the son of Helon, from the sons of Joseph, from Ephraim, Elishama, the son of Amihud, and from Manasseh, Gamaliel, the son of Pazazer, from Benjamin, Abadan, the son of Gideoni, from Dan, Ahiazer, the son of Amishadai, from Asher, Pagiel, the son of Okran, from Gad, Eliasaph, the son of Deuel, from Naphtali, Ahira, the son of Enam. These were the ones chosen from the congregation, the chiefs of their ancestral tribes, the heads of the clans of Israel. Moses and Aaron took these men who had been named, and on the first day of the second month, they assembled the whole congregation together, who registered themselves by clans, by fathers' houses, according to the number of names from 20 years old and upward, head by head, as the Lord commanded Moses. So he listed them in the wilderness of Sinai. Uh, good day, everyone. Uh, my name is Joseph, and I'll be taking us through our second reading tonight in Numbers chapter 9, or just a few pages over at page 117. And we'll be reading the first 23 verses. And the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year after they came out of the land of Egypt, saying, Let the people of Israel keep the Passover at its appointed time. On the 14th day of this month, at twilight, you shall keep it at its appointed time, according to all its statutes and all its rules, you shall keep it. So Moses told the people of Israel that they should keep the Passover. And they kept the Passover in the first month, on the 14th day of the month, at twilight in the wilderness of Sinai, according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people of Israel did. And there were certain men who were unclean through touching a dead body, so that they could not keep the Passover on that day. And they came before Moses and Aaron on that day. And those men said to him, We are unclean through the touching of a dead body. Why, why are we kept from bringing the Lord's offering at its appointed time among the people of Israel? And Moses said to them, Wait, that I may hear what the Lord will command concerning you. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, 
if any one of you or of your descendants is unclean through the touching through touching a dead body or is uh, sorry uh, or is on a long journey he shall still keep the passover to the lord in the second month of the 14th day at twilight they shall keep it they shall eat it with the with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall they shall leave none of it until the morning nor keep nor, nor break any of its bones according to all the statutes of the passover they shall keep it but if any anyone who is clean and is not on a journey fails to keep the passover that person shall be cut off from his people because he did not bring the lord's offering at its appointed time that man shall bear his sin and if a stranger sojourns among you and would keep the passover to the lord according to the statute of the Passover and according to its rule, so shall he do. You shall have one statute, both for the sojourner and for the native. On the day that the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony, and at evening it was over the tabernacle like the appearance of fire until morning. So it was always, the cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. And whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, after, after that the people of Israel set out. And in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people of Israel camped. At the commandment of the Lord, the people of Israel set out. And at the commandment of the Lord, they camped. As long as the cloud rested over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. Even when the cloud continued over the tabernacle many days, the people of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was a few days over the tabernacle, and according to the command of the Lord, they remained in camp. Then, according to the command of the Lord, they set out. And sometimes the cloud remained from evening until morning, and when the cloud lifted in the morning, they set out. Or, if it continued for a day and a night, when the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether it was two days, or a month, or a longer time, that the cloud continued over the tabernacle, abiding there, the people of Israel remained in camp and did not set out, but when it lifted, they set out. At the command of the Lord they camped, and at the command of the Lord they set out. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by Moses. Uh, well, good evening. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Michael. Uh, it's, we are starting a uh, new series in the book of Numbers. We finished up Galatians last week, uh, this week. Um, and we're just going to be spending five weeks in the book of Numbers. Um, the book of Numbers has 36 chapters. Um, and if you do some quick maths, you realize very quickly that doing 36 chapters in five weeks means that you are doing very broad sections of numbers. And so the idea is not um, that we will go into in-depth in every little section. The idea is to give you broad scope of the book of Numbers um, so that you understand the themes that are going um, on. What that also means is that if you're not a note taker, a lot of you sit there and write away in your books and, and on pieces of paper. If you're not a note taker, you might like to for this series because often um, I'll just be going, this comes from this chapter and this comes from this chapter. Um, and the expectation is that you will go home and you will read it for yourself. So you're not just trusting what I tell you is in there, but you go and you read it and you think about it and you dwell on it. So you might like to take some 
of those notes about um, where we are going to be. Um, today we are looking at the first 10 chapters of Numbers um, and a little some of that was fairly dry. I don't know about you. Um, does anyone just go, oh man, Numbers is just my favorite book and I pick up my Bible and I'm like, I just really want to hear from Numbers today. You know, I'm going to read that census and I'm going to read those numbers and be really... Did anyone... Oh, oh. Did anyone stop paying attention when those names were getting read out? Is anyone, yeah, Brandy's nodding. <laughs> I, it, it's, it, some of it's difficult and some of it's hard um, because it is giving us very fine detail and, and it seems very repetitive at points. Um, but I think that just makes it easy to not listen to what it's saying and, and for our eyes to glaze over and for us not to hear. And that's a shame because numbers is about Jesus. Jesus says, all of Scripture, all of Old Testament is about me. It tells you about me. And so Jesus, the census, is about Jesus. When they're doing that census, that is telling us something about Jesus. And so my um, this, uh, uh, this evening uh, is very simple. I'm going to show you Jesus in a censor, and I'm going to uh, census, and I'm going to try and show you Jesus um, in the rest of the book of Numbers. Um, Three things we're going to see from the first 10 chapters of Numbers, and I'm going to trust Nick to be paying attention and listening um, on the ball, because I never think about uh, Three things we're going to see from the first 10 chapters. Um, the first uh, is that it's about God's people. Um, we read it just before. Numbers begins with a census of Israel, um, where Moses is commanded to, to number people off house by house, clan by clan, and he starts by what well, God starts by electing representatives and leaders over each of the tribe of Israel who are going to gather their people and then going to count how many um, people are there. Now we have to ask a question here. Does God not know how many Israelites are there? Like he's just going, there's a bunch of you. I can't be bothered figuring out how many of you there are. So Moses, you go and figure it out and you come and tell me so that I can know. Is that what God is doing? No, of course not. He knows exactly how many. In fact, the Bible says that God knows how many hairs are on your head. And there were more hairs on your head than there were people in Israel. So God knew. But he asked Moses to do it for Moses' sake, for the Israelites' sake, and I think for our sake. But if it's not for his sake, why, why is he telling Moses to do it? Well, we kind of have to orient ourselves with what where we are in the story, and that video is very helpful for the overview. Um, the Israelites have come out of Egypt. God has rescued them. They've walked out. They've come to Mount Sinai, and God has made his commandment with them. He's given them his law. And at the, book of, at the start of the book of Numbers, we find that they've been at that mountain for a year. And they're about to go into uh, the next stage of their life. Um, if I was walking around church, sorry, Jim, I'll stop trying to go from the microphone. I trust you. If I was to come around after church and I was taking a survey of how many of you knew how to run a church website, what would you immediately think that I was trying to do? Come on, university students, what are you doing? <laughs> You would assume that I'm trying to find one of you to run the church website, wouldn't you? Like, not just randomly, oh, I just want to know. What is it that 
that God tells Moses to do. He says to number the amount of males who are of fighting age, who are about to go into battle. Um, and so as he does that, it's telling people, the, the people of Israel, about what their next stage is going to look like. And as they go into the promised land, it's going to look like war. They're going to have to fight. They're going to have a battle. And what they find is that there are 603,550 men in Israel who can fight. That's a, that's a large army. Notice here it doesn't go, who wants to fight? It's just if you're a male and you're over 20 and you're not um, elderly, uh, you're fighting, right? 603,000 people. Um, that would have meant that the, the people of Israel as a whole was probably somewhere around the 1.5 million people or, or more, when, once you included women and children. Now, I think it's worth pausing at this point because I think we learned something else from this census. All the way back in Genesis 12, God made a promise to Abraham. Now, in our other two services, I asked the kids what they were. And so if a five-year-old can give me an answer, hopefully one of you uh, will be able to. Uh, what did God promise to Abraham in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15? Anyone? Call them out. There's four of them. He promised them land. Numerous people. Uh, that the nations would be blessed through him. And I'll include in that that he would bless um, the people. Fourth one. Oh, if the children know and you don't, this is disappointing. Uh, the last one is that he would make his name great. He would make Abraham's na name great. And here they are. A great nation. 1.5 million people or, or more. This is a picture that God is faithful to his promises. I mean, he started with one, with Isaac, and then with Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons. And 400 plus years later, here we are with 1.5 million people. It's showing us that God is faithful, that he always comes through on his promises. But hold on a second. When God promised to make Abraham a great nation, how did he qualify that? What picture did he use to describe it? Stars. stars. Um, specifically, he said, look up at the stars. He says, can you count them? And Abraham says, no. And God says, so will your people be. Right? More than you can count. And what have they just done? He's counted them, right? Which means that the promise to Abraham is not yet fulfilled. This is not the fullness of the people of Israel. And so there is still work to be done. And it's not actually until Revelation chapter 7 that we see the fulfillment of this promise to Abraham. As we see the great throne room of God and there are people from every tribe and land and tongue and, 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 and tribe... Um, gathered to worship the Lamb, to worship Jesus, gathered around God's throne. As Jesus calls people from every nation, I mean, this is why we love um, cross-culture. Um, sorry, crossing cultures. Um, I got it. Uh, because the gospel is not just for us, it's for all peoples. And God is calling people from everywhere through Jesus to 
come and be part of God's people. And, and, and it qualifies it in Revelation 7 that it's a great multitude that no one can number, that no one could count. So it's only in Jesus that the promise to Abraham is fulfilled. Second thing we learn from Numbers uh, is that God is a holy God. Um, flick over to um, Numbers chapter 5, verse 1 with me. Numbers chapter 5, verse 1. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the people of Israel that they put out of the camp everyone who is leprous or has a discharge and everyone who is unclean through contact with the dead. You shall put up both male and female, putting them outside the camp, that they may not defile their camp in the midst of which I dwell. And the people of Israel did so and put them outside the camp. As the Lord said to Moses, so the people of Israel did. Now, there's lots of things in here that we don't necessarily have time for, um, but if you're interested in the whole leprosy and discharge and touching a dead body thing, go and read the book of Leviticus, and it will explain exactly what it's talking about. In fact, he doesn't bother to, to, to kind of um, explain fully this point, because this is simply meant to be a reminder of what God has already instructed the people of Israel about. But just for an example... Um, it says that to come into contact with a dead body, with the dead, makes you unclean. Now, we're not talking about some kind of hygiene thing, although if you see a dead body, probably best not to touch it. <laughs> like, that's just, just a general rule. Um, but God isn't like, oh, I just really care about your hygiene. No, he's talking about something um, about being symbolically unclean. Why? Because God is the God of life. He creates life, he gives life, he sustains life. Jesus says, I am the life. And where does the Bible say that death comes from? It comes from sin, doesn't it? It's a result of sin that death enters the world. And, and so if they can't, um, if they become unclean, they can't come into the camp. Um, I don't know if you guys... Um, as kids, or every now, um, I've been playing out in the mud, and you, you try and come in, and mum's standing at the door and goes, do not dare <laughs> come into the house with your dirty, muddy feet. Um, get out and go and clean yourself. Why? Because the house is clean, and you're unclean, and you're about to come into the clean house and make it dirty. But the Israelites are in a desert. There's, there's dead stuff all around in a, in a desert. Like what's, and, and they're traveling from place to place. What is going on. Why can they not come into the camp if they are unclean? What does God say? He says, put them out of the camp that they may not defile their camp in the midst of which I dwell. It's because God is holy. He is perfect. He is clean, unstained. And, and, and that God chooses to live in the midst of the Israelite people. And so therefore, they too must be clean. And here we come to one of the great problems of the book of Numbers. God is holy, right? And he dwells in the midst of a people who are sinful, who are unholy, who are unclean. It's like a bit like building a house out of newspaper and then 
building a fire in the midst of your house. Like, what's going to happen? Your house will catch on fire and it will burn. Like, it, the two things do not mix. Fire and newspaper do not mix. Holy and unholy do not mix. And a lot of the rest of the book of Numbers is, is about the exact thing happening. About the wrath of God breaking out against the unholiness and the sin of the Israelite people. In fact, have a look with me at chapter 1, verse 50 of Numbers. Just over the page. Chapter 1, verse 50 says, But appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony. That's just the tent where the Ark of the Covenant lived. Um, and it's where the presence of God was. Uh, appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony, over all its furnishings, over all that belongs to it. They are to carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings, and they shall take care of it and shall camp around the tabernacle. When the tabernacle is set out, the Levites shall take it down, and when the tabernacle is to be pitched, the Levites shall set it up. And if any outsider comes near, he shall be put to death. The people of Israel shall pitch their tents by their companies, each man in his own camp, and each man by his own standard. But the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of the testimony, so that they may be no wrath on the congregation of the people of Israel. And the Levites shall keep guard over the tabernacle of the testimony. So you, you've got to understand, um, God has set these people in camps. You kind of saw it in the video as it, as it laid out. But the, Israel, uh, the Levites were to be around the tabernacle, because only they could be close to the tabernacle, to the presence of God, and not die. No one else was allowed um, nearby. Um, it's a bit like, if you think about our newspaper fort that we have built, it's a bit like in the midst of our newspaper fort, we build a fireplace out of brick, and, and you can kind of safely build a fire in there, although you're still kind of nervous, <laughs> right? I don't want to hear about any of you doing this and, and dying in a fire because you, yeah. Um, but even the Levite people, um, people who God chose to be mediators, to be go-betweens, to be priests, they are holy and set apart to act on behalf of the people of God. Even them, even they, needed to be made holy. And there's a whole chunk of these first 10 chapters that is dedicated to the Levites and describes how they were going to be made holy. They weren't holy in themselves, right? You can go and read the story about Levi. And he was one of the brothers that tried to kill Joseph, right? Like their history is stained in blood. So they needed to be made holy before they could be holy to do their priestly duty. And the way that they did this is by sacrifice. So they would come and they would put their hand on the head of the bull or the ram and they would slit the neck of, of um, the bull or the ram and it would bleed out in front of them and they would put their sin on that animal and watched it die. Um, we did our confession before. Um, I think we just don't have these really graphic pictures anymore of the consequences of our sin. But that's what they needed to do. 
Um, I'm, I'm personally glad that we don't have to do this today. We'd, we'd have to set up an altar just outside the door and we, we would all bring our own animal and, and slit its throat and die and there would just be carcasses everywhere and you would have to be like, where am I going to get a bull this week? Like, it, it, it would be a lot of trouble. In fact, um, when I was in South America... Um, I was about seven years of age, and church lunch in South America, um, they used to just get a cow and kill it, and then they'd barbecue it and cook it up for the church lunch. And my dad was like, hey, let's go and watch the cow being slaughtered. And so they wrestled it to the ground and slit its throat, and I'm watching this animal buck away and blood going everywhere. Like, it's not pretty. It's, in fact, you can't do it um, in Australia anymore. It's illegal. You have to... Um, humanely kill the animal but but you watch this animal die and it is horrific i'm i'm perfectly fine mentally today <laughs> despite that right <laughs> um it's brutal but it's a picture of the consequence of their sin and what it would take in order to make them holy and, and we don't have to do that anymore you didn't notice any carcasses out the front in fact, we, anyone, not just priests, can come into the presence of God with confidence. We're called a kingdom of priests. It's not just go-betweens. Like, you don't come to me to, or, or, or Gary or, or whoever's priested to have access to God. You have access to God. And in fact, it's not a place that you go to to find the presence of God. God's presence resides in you in the Holy Spirit. Now, you have to get this. They were unholy. They couldn't even come close. Are we better than the Israelites? Do we complain less? Are we more faithful? Are we less sinful? No. We're just as unholy. Except that we have been made holy by the great high priest Jesus who mediates on our behalf. If you want to read about this, go read um, Hebrews chapter 6 through um, 10, and it will unpack this very well. But what it says is that Jesus made one sacrifice, and that one sacrifice was enough to completely perfect and make holy all who would accept that sacrifice. Jesus makes us holy. Jesus solves this tension of a holy God wanting to be with an unholy people by being both the sacrifice who takes our sin and the great high priest who mediates on our behalf. He fulfills both picture. As he dies on the cross, you can imagine him being the sacrificial lamb and us putting our hands on his head and saying, you take my sin and watching him bleed out and die to make us holy to take all our unrighteousness, all our shame, all our guilt. And he dies as a sacrifice for us. And so we can be the, the people of God without fear. Did you hear the words um, that we sang before in, in, in a great hymn, Before the Throne of God Above? Before the Throne of God Above, I have a great and perfect plea. Why? Because of the great high priest. We have been made holy. Thirdly, um, God provides. Um, it's worth reading it again in um, Numbers chapter 9, verse 15. It says, On the day that the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony. And at evening it was over the tabernacle like the appearance of fire until morning. 
So it was always. The cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. And whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, after that the people set out. And in the place where the cloud settled down, um, the people of Israel camped. Um, So there's kind of this weird cloud that appears um, over the tabernacle where the presence of God was. Uh, During the day it's a cloud, at night it's a pillar of fire. And and, and it would pick itself up and it would move. And and when it picked itself up, um, all of the the Israelites would pack up camps and and they would follow it. And, And... it's a picture of God leading and guiding and protecting his people. I mean, think about it. What is the most um, valuable possession that the Israelites had? It's the Ark of the Covenant. And what is it that goes first in their, in their procession? It's the Ark of the Covenant. Why? Because that's God's presence leading them. It's a picture that God doesn't need them to protect him. Which is kind of ironic because at the start, we saw the census of Israel's strength. But what is their actual strength? It's God. He doesn't need any of them. They follow him. He will protect. He will fight. He will provide. He will guide. Um, Sometimes I think it would be really useful to have my own little personal cloud like you would just follow it about. It'd be a nice handy torch at night. You know, you're walking around and you're like, I don't need a torch. Um, but you, you wouldn't have to make decisions, right? Like you'd be like, all right, I'm supposed to go to the shops now. And oh, okay, I'm supposed to go and evangelize that person. Oh, this cloud is leading me to church when I should be there. Okay, obviously this is where I should be. You know, oh, It would take a lot of the guesswork out of following God. Now, unfortunately, all we have is like the Bible and the Holy Spirit and people around us, so we'll just have to make do with that. But, um, but it'd be nice, wouldn't it? It's a picture of God leading his people. Um, time and time again, God proves that he is faithful, that he fights for them, that he cares for them, that he's going to do all this. He gives them everything that they need. And what do they do? Time and time again... They turn away from him. They decide to do their own thing. They distrust him. I mean, God, like you you saw in the the video, God brought them out of Egypt and and he did all these plagues and these miraculous things. He parted the Red Sea and they walk through it and and they hear Mount Sinai and they go, we don't have any food, let's go back to Egypt. Like, it's just crazy, isn't it? In fact, I don't know if you noticed, but these first 10 chapters gives us a little bit of hope because there's this refrain that gets repeated again and again and again that the Lord commanded and the people of Israel did. The Lord commanded, the people of Israel did. The Lord commanded, the Lord commanded, the people did, the people did. And you go, maybe they finally got it. You know, they, they've, they, they've stuffed up, they've done the wrong thing, but now they're finally trusting and they're going, oh, okay, we're just going to do what God wants us to do and we're going to trust him even though everything's hard. And then one chapter later, they start whinging and complaining and not trusting God. And before you start judging um, the Israelites, that's what we're like, isn't it? How has God proved his faithfulness to us in every way? How far has God gone to show that we can trust him? He gave up his only son. I mean, what? To die on the cross, to, to fix the issue that none of us could fix. What more can he do to prove that we can trust him? 
And yet, we still kind of go, yeah, but maybe, maybe sin is good, do you know? Maybe, maybe I will enjoy going and doing that. Or maybe I can't really trust God enough to, to invest my life in Christianity. So, so I've got to hedge my bets and live kind of half of the world and, and half for God. How far do we trust God? It is God who is our strength. It is God who provides. It is God who blesses. And we have every reason to trust him, to follow him, to obey him, and to follow his guidance. What do we say in response to all this? Uh, how do we to respond to a God who is true to his promises, who is holy, and who provides for us? Uh, the answer from Numbers is thankfulness. That as you see what God has done for us, for you, that the main response is that you are to respond in thankfulness. Um, three ways that we see this in the book of Numbers. Um, the first is service. Uh, this comes from Numbers 6, uh, and this is one of the places where I'm just going to reference it and you can go read it, where they introduce something called the Nazarite vow. Um, so the Levites, all of the Levites had to serve. But um, people outside of the people uh, of the tribe of, of, the, of the Levites um, could dedicate themselves to the service of God by taking this Nazarite vow. And part of this vow was saying that they weren't going to um, drink any wine and they weren't going to cut any hair. Does that bring up any uh, major examples from the Bible about who might have taken a Nazarite vow? Samson. Samson. Oh, you guys are better than the... Kids club kids. <laughs> they took at least 10 seconds. Um, yeah, Samson is a good example of someone who had um, vowed um, to himself to the service of God. This vow wasn't forced on anyone. Um, it was a way of them giving an offering to God, where they go, I'm offering my life to you to serve. Um, there are many ways to serve at St. Mark's and around in our community. Um, at the moment, we're looking for someone to run the website. Um, so <laughs> if you want to. Um, there's lots of ways. When you, when you sit on the welcoming desk, and I see Maddie there right now, when, when you sit and you welcome, or, or you wash up, or, or, or you provide supper, or, or you chat to people, or, or you're telling people the gospel, or you're coming along to Bible study, what are you doing? You're serving the people around you, yes, but really... You're in service to God. You're serving God. And that's out of thankfulness for what he has done. So if you ever get tired, you're like, man, I've washed up for like an hour now. <laughs> if you ever get tired, don't think about this community because we won't be good enough for you to keep going in your service. But if you're doing it for God, he will be good enough because he's done everything. The second is offerings. Um, we see this in chapter 7, um, that the tribes of Israel were to bring their offerings for the Levites and for furnishing the tabernacle. And it goes to great lengths to describe that each tribe brought, brought these silver and gold plates. And these silver plates were like over a kilo each of pure silver, which is a lot of money, um, especially in those days. Um, they, they, they had silver, they had gold, um, they, they brought flour, oil, Bulls, rams, goats, all, all, all of these sacrificial um, people. It's meant to be a picture 
of people being rich towards God. But think about this for a second. The Israelites are in the desert. You don't just go digging in the sand and find silver plates, right? And what were they before they were in the desert? They were slaves in Israel. And slaves in those days, and even now, don't get paid. That's how it works, right? They don't get paid. So where do they have this silver and this gold from? Well, it's because when they came out of, um, out of Egypt, you can read this in Exodus 12, 36, it says that the Israelites plundered the Egyptians. The Egyptians came and gave gold and silver and fine clothing to the Israelites. And it says specifically, because the Lord had given them favor. So why do they have any of this? It's because God had provided it for them. Now, I think that's important because they're not going, well, here's my stuff and I'm going to give to God out of my stuff and, 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 and here you go, God. This is, this is what I'm willing to sacrifice from, my, from what's mine. They're going, no, no, no. This is what God has provided for me and what am I going to give God back out of what he has given for me? Do you understand the distinction there? I think that's helpful in our day and age because we tend to go, well, I work and therefore it's my money and my house and my time and my possessions and God might get something of that. Yeah? God might get something of it. When really, it is God who blesses us with everything. Everything that we have is a blessing from God. In the West especially, we are very richly blessed with monetary um, possessions. Thirdly, uh, remembering. Uh, this comes from chapter 9 with the Passover feast, um, where people keep this uh, celebration. And they do this to remember. They do this to remember that they have been saved. And it's an opportunity for them, again, to be thankful and, and give offerings in light of what God has done. This is why things like Easter and Christmas and, and Lord's Supper are really important because they are events that help us to remember what Jesus has done. Help us to remember that Jesus died on the cross for us. That he has solved everything for us. That he has ransomed us. That he has made us holy. And every time we do that, it's an opportunity to remember and be thankful. To remind ourselves of the gospel. So, serve, give, remember. Add thankfulness to God for what he has done. Because God is faithful to his people. Through Jesus. God is holy and has made a way for us unholy people to be with him through Jesus. And God is the one who fights for us. He is our strength. He is our provision. And he does that through Jesus. Um, can I encourage you uh, as we sing this next song uh, to use the next song to express your thankfulness to God? Um, we are singing to the one who deserves all our praise and all our thanks. Um, the song is called, O Lord, My Rock and My Redeemer. Um, and as you sing, meditate on the lyrics, because it has a lot of things um, in numbers from there, that God is our sword, he is our refuge, he is our rock. Let's sing.